dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of my words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and he withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the commandments of my Father and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Thank you, Philip. Well, good morning, church. Hey, one of my uh, favorite things to do on Sunday morning is to introduce you to a new member of our congregation. And today I have the privilege to introduce you to Levi Lloyd-Smith, born on, that's right, born on November 24th to Andrew and Katie Smith and uh, little Liesl as well as Lyle, and uh, so celebrate with them. I'm looking around to see where you guys are that way. Yeah, I should know you guys are over there. Yeah, so congratulations. We're excited uh, for you and uh, uh, celebrate what God has done. That's exciting. Hey, also, uh, one more thing. Yesterday, and I've got I've to brag again on, on the men's ministry. Um, yeah, wow. If you've not had a breakfast like this, you could have. You missed it. It was yesterday. We had shrimp. We had steak. Uh, we had, uh, it was delightful. Uh, so in, in uh, I think in three months, we're going to do it again every quarter, and so join us on that. Also, when you're heading out today, if you haven't picked up uh, one of the Advent devotionals, we've got some uh, Advent devotionals that go weekly, so you've only missed one week, so there's only four weeks, so you're not really that far behind. But you can pick up week two, there's a family devotional inside where you can Talk about the Advent wreath. You can talk about uh, different themes from the Old Testament, New Testament. Connect that to uh, what God is doing today. And there's also some personal devotional studies in that. So when you head out today, you can grab one in the Connect Center. Also, and guys, you can do this right now. I want to pass out to you uh, a bookmark. And on this bookmark, there is a prayer. And some of the youth are going to be coming around and passing that out. If you don't get one, when you head out today as well, you'll find one. Hopefully you picked one when you're coming in. But on this bookmark, there is a prayer, and there are four parts to this prayer. We're going to look at it at the end of our time together today, once you get it, and so you can kind of look through it uh, while you're sitting there. But these four parts of this prayer are going to be connected to John chapter 15 and what we're going to be walking through over the next few weeks. 
Because what we're looking at in John 15, which was kicked off by Jonah, our, our missionary in France, Jonah Haddad, who did an amazing job last week, kind of laying the foundation. What we're looking at is the message of Christmas, which is Emmanuel, God with us. And in John 15, what he's saying in John 15 is the way we respond to the message of Christmas is by abiding with Jesus. Now today we'll look at a little bit what abiding with Jesus means, but we'll also, through this series, talk about five ways in which we can abide with Christ and make the message of Christmas uh, more tangible in our lives on a daily basis, allow the fullness of what Christ has done to come into our lives. And in John 15, he really lays out that foundation for what it looks like to abide in Him, to meet God, really meet God where He is, and then to allow God to work through us. So what I'm going to encourage you to do with this uh, bookmark is to pray through this. When you remember, you can stick in your Bible, even if it's just on Sunday morning, to pray through this and to kind of meditate on the words uh, that this prayer symbolizes and these, this prayer shares. So, so grab that if you haven't today. If the kids didn't get one to you, it's okay. We'll, uh, we'll get it to you. So it's good to see you guys. So let's jump in. John chapter 15 and look at this in verses 1 through 11. You know, before we just jump into the text, um, you know, as a kid, and I have to admit, I think I'm still a little bit of a kid. As a kid, one of the things I loved to do, what I loved to do was to ride escalators. You with me? You know, you see an escalator as a kid, and you're just ready to go. But I'll tell you, what's more exciting as a kid is not the up escalator, it's the down escalator. You with me? And the best thing of all, if you're able to, if your parents aren't watching, is to try to get up the down escalator. Now, for me, I never really succeeded. I didn't get to the mountaintop. Some of you can tell me what it's like. Because, see, as a kid, I remember trying to get up that down escalator. It's always at Sears or Montgomery Wards. That's kind of defunct. But you try to get to that top of that down escalator. And as soon as you got to, like, the third step to the top, somebody starts coming down, right? And you, you have to go back down. Or you're getting up there and your mom realizes that, you know, you're not, you're not with her. And she sees what you're, she, you're doing and she calls you down. But that was exciting. It was exciting to try to get up that escalator. Well, life in many ways, what I want to suggest is life in many ways is like that down escalator. And all of us in life, I think, are trying to advance. And to advance in life, it takes, it takes effort I mean, it takes energy to get up that down escalator when you're trying to head up that direction and everything is pushing towards you. Gravity is pushing down and you're using your force to get up. It takes effort, determination. But think of it this way, to fall back, it's easy. Because if life is like a down escalator that you're trying to get up, to fall back means just simply to do nothing. Because if you do nothing, the immediate result is you've just lost progress. You're heading in the other direction. And see, the Bible describes life in many ways, apart from Christ, like a down escalator. That life is subject to decay. And I don't think we need an illustration on life being subject to decay. We experience it every day. I mean, it doesn't matter how much you work out. It doesn't matter how healthy you become. You know, you can run during the day, work out during the day, and yet at night, a stomach bug could just knock you out. But there's so many things in life that lead to decay. You clean the house, you take care of the kids, and the next day what, what happens is the whole process 
begins again. And it's this constant cycle of maintaining, cleaning, improving, maintaining, cleaning, improving. But what happens if for a week you just said, I'm going to do nothing? It's not that you wouldn't just simply lose progress. You're actually going to fall back, and you're going to find that there's more things you've got to do. And so that escalator is getting higher and higher. It's moving faster and faster. And to get to the top, to experience growth, takes determination. So that's growth in life. But what's beautiful and what I love about John 15 is that's not what growth looks like in the Christian life. Growth in the Christian life is unlike growth in every other aspect of life. You see, growth in the Christian life is not trying to climb the down escalator. Growth in the Christian life, life as we're going to discover in John 15, is Jesus destroying the escalator entirely. It's not that we're trying to climb a ladder. Rather, God has removed the need to climb, and He has lifted us up with Him. And so in John 15, as we look at this in verses 1 through 5, we're going to focus on today, we're going to look at what growth looks like. And the first thing that John's going to tell us that Jesus is going to say is that growth, if you're ready for this, in the Christian life is inevitable. That may shock you a bit, but growth in the Christian life is inevitable. Growth in the Christian life, I could say, If your life is in Christ, if you've accepted uh, Jesus into your life, that growth is a guarantee. That a Christian, what John is going to say in John 15, is that a Christian is somebody who is growing. Now, we're going to discover why and where, where do we put those moments in life where we don't find ourselves growing. But let's jump in in John chapter 15 and look at this in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. He's saying growth in the Christian life looks like the connection between a vine and a branch, which means if a branch is connected to a growing vine, the branch is going to grow. And if the the vine is Jesus, we know that Jesus isn't going to fall back. He's not going to lose his path. He's not going to lose his way. If we are connected to Jesus, what he's saying of the branch connected to Jesus is the branch will grow. That growth is inevitable. Now the question is, how does growth happen? And see, this is the beauty of this passage. And I'll tell you, there's no other human relationship that comes close to what John is describing in verse 15. Because what Jesus is saying is the solution to growth, how Christian growth happens, is your growth is connected to your intimacy with Christ. It's not connected, you ready? Necessarily to what you do. Now, we're going to contradict that in a few minutes, because there are things we have to do. But the foundation, and here's the difference between growth in the Christian life and just growth in life, trying to get up the down escalator, 
is growth in life takes effort. It starts with you. It's willpower, right? That's why you go to those Tony Robbins events. You know, you want to get that raw, raw, okay, hey, I need to get the energy. I need to get the information I need to climb the down escalator. Well, see, growth in the Christian life is not your effort. It doesn't start with what you do. Rather, what John is going to say is it starts with who God is. And if you know who God is and you know that you're accepted through Jesus Christ by faith in what He has done, it means that your life and God's life are now one. That just as a vine and a branch, and just as that vine draws nutrients from the ground, and those nutrients flow into the branch, and so whatever the vine is pulling from the ground, however healthy the roots are, that's how healthy the branch is going to be. Well, how healthy is Jesus? Think about that. How healthy is the source of life that is now flowing in you? How dare we say, I can't change? Do you hear what it's saying? If the vine is Jesus, if the life that is in us, that's made us alive, is Jesus Christ, church, how can we say, I can't change? You see, what the New Testament describes as life in God or life in Christ is not simply a philosophy we take up. Christianity doesn't begin with a set of rules that we start to, to follow. Rather, what he says is that Christianity begins with a new life, that the life of God comes in and makes us new. Now, if you want to take that out as well. So listen to this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. You'll see this in your handout if you want to take that out as well. In Colossians 1, 27, Paul describes it this way. He says to them, or to us, God has chosen to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Now, what is the mystery? Here's the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What marvels the New Testament writers is not that Jesus has necessarily come. On the one hand, that's an amazing idea. What marvels Paul is to say that Christ is in you. Not simply that you know Him, that you know of Him, you know information from Him, you know the rules you're supposed to follow. What he's saying is the mystery of the Christian life isn't this is the list you've got to do. The mystery of the Christian life is Jesus Christ has come, He's lived the life that we should have lived, He died our, day, our death, and by faith in Him, His life is now in us, and Christ lives in us. And so he'll say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is Christ that lives in you. And see, that is our hope for change. Your hope for change is not the right book. You go to the self-help section, I'll tell you, the essence of all self-help books is here are the five secrets to change. And sadly, they all begin with you. You need to do more. You need to try harder. That escalator is moving faster because you're not getting any younger. Everyone else is going better than you. They're already to the top. Your mom's still pulling you down. And what does the world say? Hey, this is what you've got to do. The gospel is a different message entirely. It says, stop looking at what you need to do 
start church celebrating what Jesus has done. The secret to change is not what I need to do. The secret to change is being captivated by the mystery of what Jesus Christ has done for us. You see, that's the beauty of Christmas. It's the message that God is with us. It's the mystery that God himself who created us has now made himself known and that through faith in Christ, through faith in the gospel, we can know God and be known by God. See, life in Christ, life in Christianity is less about what we do and it's more about celebrating what God has done. You know, and as I said before, this relationship that he's describing between the vine and the branch is unlike any human relationship we have. It's unlike friendship. It's unlike having kids and having a family. It's unlike even marriage. Because, see, in each one of those relationships, what you have is influence. Now, marriage is the greatest of influence, or it should be the greatest of influence, that you should at times do what she says, and maybe she, every once in a while, should do what he says. There's influence because you love each other and that love kind of causes your heart to melt to her heart and you start adopting things that she loves and hopefully over time when he does that enough, she'll start adopting things that he loves as well and the heart becomes one because the two have influence over each other and change does happen. But see, that change happens externally as one influences you. What Jesus is describing is not saying, hey, I've got good information for you I want you to follow. I've got great influence that I want to put over your life. What he's saying is, I want to come in you and make you new. That's unlike any relationship we have. It's so counterintuitive to the way we do relationships. The only thing that comes close, you ready? Is conception. The only thing that comes close to what he's describing is conception. Because when a child is conceived, you have the DNA of a man and the DNA of a woman coming together. And in that child... Their life becomes that child's life. The life of the child is going to grow based on the DNA of that father and mother. And from that point further, he's going to be living out of what the father and mother have given. Now, for the father, it was a pretty quick give. Sorry. For the mother, that was a sacrifice. But what Jesus is describing is not a moment. He's not describing just an experience. He's saying that life in me is a process, as he's going to describe, of remaining and abiding in me. That the secret to the Christian life, the secret to change, is this word that he keeps using, which is to abide in me. You know, in John chapter 3, John has this, uh, Jesus has this discussion with Nicodemus. You know, Nicodemus is this older man, wise man. He's been around for a long time. He's gone up a lot of escalators. He's gotten to the top, at least in his society. And Jesus says to him, you know, to enter the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, it's not about what you know. And actually what you know may hold you back. It's not about what you've accomplished in life. It's not about who you know. Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, for you to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Which simply is to say you can't do it. Christianity is not something you can just take up. See, Christianity is a person that takes you up. Christianity is someone from the outside that invades into the world. When things are dark, the light shines. And when the light shines, the angels come. And it comes into a world, 
And the world did not accept when Jesus came. Rather, what the world tried to do through Herod was to destroy what God sent. And see, often in the Christian life, what is happening is God is working in us. He's speaking to us. But instead of abiding in what he's saying and what he's giving, we respond to God a lot like Herod did. We push away the things that could give us life. We push away the word of God. Sometimes when things go bad, and I can admit this, I know in my life when I've really messed up, I don't want anyone in my life. I don't want accountability. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to pray about it. You know what I'm doing? I'm acting like Herod towards Jesus when he came into the world. I'm pushing life out. And often what happens is when Christ comes in, it's a threat. When that life comes in, all the parasites in us, all the sin, says, I've got to suppress what Jesus has done. But the mystery of the Christian life is to say, I want to submit to who God is. And I want to rest in what he's done and trust that in following him, he's going to give me greater life. You must be born again. Peter said it the same way. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. You know, John says in John chapter 14 that the Holy Spirit will come. And when the Holy Spirit comes in John 14, verse 17, he says, you know him, meaning the Holy Spirit, for he dwells in you and will be with you. Again, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, verse 4, so that through them you may become, and listen to this phrase, partakers of the divine nature. Now that's a mystery that the divine nature is now at dwelling and at work within us. And so when we get back to that phrase, when we get back to the idea that Jesus is the vine and we are the branch, the vine is that the divine nature is in us. The question is, what is the fruit that that kind of life produces? And what does it look like? Well, if you look again back in verses 1 through 4, he describes how that growth comes. And really, I see two main ways that that growth comes. In verses 1 through 4, the first way in verse 2 is he describes that the Father is the vine dresser. In the NIV, it says the, the Father is the gardener. And when, it's interesting, when the branch bears fruit, which means it's growing, what does the Father do? Just lets it grow, right? Leaves it alone because it's just doing fine. No, it says even when it's bearing fruit, the Father comes in and begins to prune. And if you've ever seen a rose bush that's been pruned, not by me, but by someone that knows what they're doing, it still looks like a mess. You see the mess of leaves and flowers, everything that's around it. It doesn't look like it's more healthy. In some ways, when it's, a plant is pruned and pruned well, it looks like it's weaker because it's, it's cut. And yet, he's saying in life, the way we grow on the one hand is by what God is doing in our lives through the challenges the trials, the temptations, the struggles, where instead of saying, okay, God, I see what you're doing, but I'm going to push you out. Instead of saying that, what he's saying is that when the Father is at work in your life, we've got to submit. We've got to humble ourselves. Say, Father, I don't get it. I don't understand what's going on. I don't like it. But I trust that you are good. 
And I trust that by faith, all things work together for good. Now, I don't see it, and I may never see it. But I'm going to trust you. And so the first way he says that growth happens is by what the Father's doing in our life. Now, we don't have a lot of time to focus on that. If you want to jump back into that series we did in James, I know those messages are online, and we talked a lot about how God works through trials and suffering to change us. Where I want to camp today as we, we look at this is this second idea. Not simply what God is doing, but how do we respond to what God has done? And that's with this phrase, to abide. That he is the vine and we are the branches, and the way that we respond to what Jesus has done is to abide in him. Now that word abide means to depend. Sometimes the NIV translates it to remain. Another way to think of it is to abide means to make your home in. That when Jesus came, he said, I want you to make your home in me. Meaning, I want me, I want myself to be the way you see life. I want my peace to come, not from the world, but from me. Love, the way you understand love, not to come from the world, but to come from me. Strength, to not come from the world, but from me. I want to be your life. I want you to make your home in me. Now imagine it this way. Imagine a child that's grown up in a destructive home. A home where the peace wasn't present. They had to find peace in themselves. The love of father was not the love of a father. It was the abuse of a father. Maybe the love of a mother wasn't present. And that child had to learn relationships on his own or her own. Didn't understand what it meant to sacrifice, to experience love and to hear words of communication that brought life. Instead, life was, was death. But what if that child suddenly was brought out of a harsh home and placed into a new home? A home where even though the child is, knows that it's safe, they still have to make their home in that safety. And some of you may have seen that process. It takes a long time for a child that's been in an abusive, abusive environment to start realizing, you know, this is a family that loves me. And all the experiences in my past, I need to die to. I need to set them aside. That's not the way that things work because I'm going to make my home not in my old family, but in my new family. That's the process of the Christian life. It's not simply growing in what we do. It's growing in the awareness of what God has done and learning to trust and to live in what he's given us. To live in his peace, his hope that we have been brought and adopted into a new home. That's good news. The old things are gone. The new things have come. The challenge is, are we making our home in the love of God, in the peace of God, in the word of God, in the community of God, or are we taking all those things from that abusive past or just figuring things out? Are we bringing those things into the present and not allowing God to speak into our lives? See, he's saying we've got to make our home in what Christ has done. Now, what does that look like? A couple of things, and we're going to look at this over the next few weeks. In verse 7, he says, one of the ways you abide in me is you've got to abide in my word. Now, we're going to look at that today. He also says, not only do you need to abide or make your home in my word, you also need to make your home in my love. And I love that phrase. He says, remain in my love. We're going to, we're going to look at that today as well. In verse 5, and he talks about this throughout, to abide in me also means to bear much fruit. Fourth, it also means that he is going to send us out. And then finally, it means that we need to love one another. 
So for the following weeks, we're going to look at this. Today, we're going to look at the first two, which is to abide in his word and to abide in his love. The next week, we'll look at what it means to abide in community, that God hasn't left us as orphans. Rather, we have a new family that we have to now connect with. And then to abide in the fruit that he gives us, which is the fruit of the Spirit, which is called character. And then finally, the last way that we abide is we abide by being on mission for what God has done. Not simply just living out my own desires, but surrendering, saying, Father, you've given me a new life, a new hope, a new vision. Now I've got a new mission. And so we're going to look at that in the following weeks. But today, just quickly, we want to look at these first two. What does it mean to abide in his word? And then what does it mean for us to remain in his love? Now, what we're going to find is that his word and his love are often tied together. But to abide in his word doesn't simply mean just to take on new information. We all love to grow in what we know. But to abide in his word doesn't simply mean to have new information or inspiration. Rather, it's something incredibly unique when his word dwells in you. You know, Colossians, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The psalmist in Psalm 119 said it this way, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. What he's describing right there isn't cerebral. When he says that your word is sweet like honey, that's experiential. That's the language of dwelling. That we don't just take God's word into our mind, which is important, it starts there, But we've got to take it another 16 to 18 inches and bring it into the heart and make our home in what God has said. Now, what does that look like? Here's here's something you may have experienced. Imagine you're at work and you hear the news that you dreaded to hear. The last quarter, yeah, you knew it wasn't great. And it was much worse than anybody thought. And so what's going to come in the next quarter is cutbacks. People are going to lose their job. You know your position in the company, and you're kind of in that point. You know, you're, you're not at the bottom, but you're kind of in the middle. And what starts happening is during lunch, you know, as you connect with other people, they're starting to talk about it, and that chatter starts to go in the office. Have you seen that? It starts to spread, and this negativity, this fear, hey, what's going to happen? You know, what's, are we going to have a job next year? Are things going to turn out? Are they going to start cutting back? Am I going to be the first one to go? And this anxiety and fear, because you're making your home in it. Everyone that's communicating is taking you to a a home that you used to live in as an orphan. It's a home of anxiety, fear, worry, desperation, depression. And you can choose in that moment, hey, I can live there. I can take what everybody's saying, bring it in my heart, dwell on it, remain on it, meditate on it. So you know how to do these things. Meditation, making your home. And these are things we do every single day, but we do them with things that are negative. You with me? What does it look like to take his word and start dwelling on the positive? I'll tell you one thing. It's not going to come from the employers or the coworkers around you. You're going to have to set an environment in your heart and in that workplace where the word of God can reign in your heart. Now, what does it look like? It looks like this. It looks like reading God's word and coming to places like in Philippians chapter 4 that says, do not be anxious. And you know in that moment, hey, I'm anxious. Okay, so this is for you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. That's something you've got to add in there. You've got to be grateful even in this. Present your request to God. 
And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, right now when I quote that, that's, that's knowledge. Well, what does it mean to abide in it? What it means is as those fears come in, the anxieties come in, you have to say, you know what, that's not my home. That's not where I'm living today. I could easily go there. I've gone there a lot of times. I've walked into that house. I have sat in that chair. I know what it feels like. It's much more comfortable even though the outcome is bad. But I'm going to make my home in Christ. I'm going to allow the message of the gospel to permeate my heart. And then you say, Father, would you show me that that's true? And maybe the Lord will take you to passages in Matthew where he says, hey, have you ever considered, have you ever considered the birds of the air? He's just talking to the people of Israel. Have you ever considered? I mean, just look at the birds of the air. They don't toil, they don't spin, but your Father in heaven cares for them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And he says, consider the birds of the flowers of the field. They're clothed with splendor and honor. God cares for them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Why does Scripture ask questions? It's to descend truth into the heart. And the more you start to see your situation through the lens of what God is saying, the more that Scripture starts to abide in you and you start to abide in Him. It's not just about information, but it's information that descends into the heart and you start to see your life through the lens of what God has done. That's what it means to make your home. Not just your home in religion, but your home in a person, and it's the person of Jesus Christ. To abide in Christ, we've got to abide in His Word, which means you've got to let His Word contradict you. There's things in God's Word I don't like, and I'm supposed to like them. I'll tell you, I don't like them because they force me to submit. They force me to tell my wife, yep, I was wrong. See how hard that is to say? I was wrong. Sometimes it forces me to tell my kids, you know what, your father right now is not being a good father. He's not being a good dad. But what I need isn't more rules. I need Jesus. You with me? That's what it looks like to abide. But then he says, and I love this part, remain in my love. Church, if I said to you right now, and I gave you a command... And on this command hinged eternal life. You ready? And I said, church, if you love me, you will have eternal life. How hard would that be? It'd be pretty hard once you get to know me. How can God command us? Have you ever thought of that? How can God command you to love him? That seemed kind of strange. What's the greatest commandment? We know this from Sunday school. Love the Lord your God. And that's not where it stops. With all your heart, soul, mind, strength. I mean, if there's any other words to add in there, he would have thrown them in. With everything. With your money, with your time, with your talents, with your spouse, with your kids, with everything you have, with every energy that is in you, I want you to love me. How are you doing on that? And how do you work up love for God? Have you ever tried? I'm going to go out there and love me some God. You know, just kind of... Where does that come from? Does it come from the mind? Is that just a mind thing? Hey, going to love you today, God. No, where does that come from? Here's the beauty of what God is saying here, and this is why growth in the Christian life is so unique. John says, we love because he first 
loved us. The only way you can love God is, church, you must make your home in the love of God. The only way we can love God is to make our home in the love of God. Why is God introduced to us as God our Father? Because all of us know what it means to have a father. All of us know the love of the Father. Some of us know the love of the Father we didn't get and always wish we'd have. And some of us may know the love of the Father, which was truly the love of a father. But the reason he calls himself Father is the relationship in the Christian life between a Christian and his God is the same relationship between daughter and father or son and father, which here's the beauty. There are times for my kids I don't like them. Sorry, Bryce. He just woke up. There are times I don't like them. There are times I get really angry with them, but you know what I need to do in those moments for their sake and my sake? Sometimes i got to get down on my knees, look them in the eyes and say, who am I? You know what those kids will say? You're my dad. What does your dad feel about you? Now, sometimes they'll say, you're angry. I'm like, I know, I know, I know, but let's get honest. What do I think about you? You love me. Okay, now that we've gotten that, let's talk about it. What happened? Before that moment, they knew they were my children. In that moment, they're experiencing that they are my children. Christianity is twofold. On the one hand, we know the love of God, but you know what Paul is constantly saying to us? I pray to you, I pray for you, Bergen Park Church, that you would know how deep and how wide and long and high is the love of Christ for you and that you would know this love that surpasses understanding. Realize, he's not praying for non-Christians. What he's praying is the knowledge of the love of God in the minds of Christians would become the experience of the love of God in the hearts of Christians. How do we do that? The only place that reveals the love of God is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means growth in the Christian life, it's from faith to faith. How did you come to faith? By trusting in what Jesus has done. How are you going to make it through the challenge you're facing tomorrow? By trusting in what Jesus has done. How do you know that God's going to love you? Well, he poured out his life. He died on the cross. He rose again. Well, how do you know that God's going to love you in the struggle that you're dealing with today? You've got to go back to the cross. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. See, obedience has a place to play. Obedience has a role. We have to abide in him. But we first have to allow him to love us. And to the degree we see the love of God through the person of Jesus Christ, to the degree we admit we're not experiencing it now, to the degree we say, I don't even want it. I want this love. I want this comfort. I want this peace. But Father, you said your love is greater. And to the degree I'm willing to humble and submit myself to you, to the degree we experience the love of Christ, to that degree we start to grow in Christ, and because of that, we start to obey Christ. Now, do not hear me say that we only obey because we feel loved. No, we obey at all times. But obedience will not change your life. I hate to say it. It'll change your behavior. But what God is after is your heart. 
What God is after is your heart. And what he has given you is not simply a set of rules. He's given you a person. A person that has sacrificed for you, been patient with you, loved you, poured out his life for you, so that through his sacrifice we may know the love of God and we may abide in the truth of God. As we walk through this Advent season, church, what I want to encourage you to do is to abide in the gospel, to abide in what Jesus has done, to remind yourself of his love, his goodness, and his sacrifice. And as we do, I'll tell you, the more you trust in what he's done, the more faith grows, the more obedience grows, and the more the fruit of what God wants to produce in your life will happen. You with me? You can't hang oranges on apple trees. The apple's got to come from the root. And if we connect to the vine, the fruit comes. Let me pray for us. Father, I just confess, so often in life, I, I look at the things of the world and I see simple ways out. I see solutions. If I go this path, life will be easier. It won't be as difficult. But Father, sometimes trusting you when we're looking at the fruit of our lives, it seems bleak because all of us go through seasons of winter. All of us look at our lives and we wonder, Father, what's going on? Where are you? I see not love. I'm experiencing heartache and pain. And yet, Father, you've told us over and over that your word is sweet. And even in the midst of pain, we can trust that because you are willing to come into a world that would despise you, hate you, cast you out, but you came to show us your love. And you died for us so that because you have loved us, we may experience the love of God and begin to love you back. Father, in this season, would we trust in the miracles of what you've done through the Christmas story and through the cross? And because of that, Father, to know you better and to realize we are known by God. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You please stand as we respond in worship.